is Rachel. Hi, I'm Spencer. And uh, this is another episode of our podcast, Neon Boots, where we talk about 90s country music, the best genre of music ever in the history of the world. Um, and today, our special guest is Grant Emerson. Hi, Grant. Hello. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Great. Thanks for joining us today. Some of you may know Grant um, from Instagram as the guy who posts <laughs> lots of beautiful flower pictures. Yeah, um, and I made sure to wear a flower shirt today. I know. It's beautiful. Um, but you are probably more well known for uh, your band, Delta Ray, that you play bass for. And um, we're here in the Carolina Theater in Durham, North Carolina right now. And you guys had a show here tonight, right? Or last night. How last did night. that go? Yes, last night. It was great. Uh, a sold-out show at home is always... Uh I don't know, a wonderful experience, like lots of family friends coming to town, and then uh, we have uh, special friends play with us that are uh, like Autumn Brandy, Caitlin Brady, Brady, who play in uh, Grady. I'm mixing their names together. <laughs> play New Reveille, and uh, they've played, uh, joined us on stage over the years. So the last time we played in Carolina Theater was like six years ago. Oh, wow. So it's time sort of flies as you get a little bit older. They played my wedding. They, uh, they played... Uh, um, a strings version of Taylor Swift's Trouble, and that's what I walked down the aisle to. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. Yes. So like, Rachel, I know Rachel them and love them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um. So how did you guys use them? Obviously not that well. Yeah, so I mean, like, yeah, you didn't you didn't have them play in Taylor Swift songs, right? Um, and no one walked down the aisle, but that could have been oh, an interesting show. Okay. But we did uh, cover uh, "Kiss from a Rose" uh, last I night. I heard about so that. That was like it's such a. I don't know, that recording is so amazing, and listening to it, I'm like, this has got to be the most complicated song to learn how to play. And then it's kind of the same chord structure as All Along the Watchtower, which is like the song everyone plays in high school yeah, in yeah. for oh. hours. Yeah. That, I never realized that. Yeah, I don't pick up on these things. Me neither. As a non-musician. <laughs> it, it's, it's a weird one where it's like it's just like Layla in the sense that it's not in a, a key. It's like mm-hmm. you try to play along with it and you're, you're, it drives you nuts because it's like between G sharp and G major. And you're just like... What's going on? Is, do I? This is when I quit because I can't learn how to play this song. No. Anyway, not '90s country. Though. That's okay. Yeah. Every, we can we can find a way to get back to '90s country eventually. Always. So, um, Grant, you're a you're a Carolina boy, like Spencer and myself. Well, I'm a Carolina girl. <laughs> um, and we talked a little bit about how, like, growing up in the South has an influence on our love for this style of music. Is is that the same story for you? Like, what is what is 90s country to you? Absolutely. I mean, it's the 90s country is when you're growing up and trying to figure out who you are and your identity and what you like and how you can sort of attach yourself to certain kinds of music or artists to be like, this is this says something about me. Like, this is the kind of person I am. And uh and music for me was a, a big deal growing up just because I, uh, my parents were divorced when I was like very young. And so my mother lived at the time, lived at the beach. I lived, I grew up in uh, like a really small apartment in Cary. And every other weekend I'd drive to the beach. So there was time to listen to music. And that was like an escape, but also a way for me to like research and be like, mm-hmm. you know, what do I like about this? What do I like about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was just, it was a, that's a formative time in life. And also yeah. I think, you know, as we're all agreed, that there was great music that was being made then, you know. <laughs> good, good stuff. And the three songs we've picked out today are all um, by musicians that I think really define the era. Um, so <clears throat> you want to go ahead and get started talking about our songs? Yeah, you can go first. So, I'm still waking up, so. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, it's really early on a Saturday morning here. Um, 
But we have Rise biscuits. Yes, Rachel's kind enough to bring us breakfast. So Shout out Rise. Yeah. Shout um, out to Rachel. They're, they're not officially a sponsor. Future sponsor, <laughs> local sponsor, future. Yeah. Call us Rise. We'll yeah. eat all of your biscuits and yeah. talk about or it. Or Bojangles. We're open to that still. I did order an unofficial Bojangles holiday ugly sweater yesterday. Oh, wow. Because they don't have an official one. So. Does it. Uh, can you like just are you sprinkling like the Cajun seasoning? The Cajun uh-huh. seasoning That's, as you it go. It kind of just uh, exudes at my pores. Or most you just days. like slap it. So and the seasoning comes out of the sweater. Yeah, um, it, it says all I want for Christmas is Bojangles, and oh, get in on some Mariah pretty, Carey yeah, action. Mariah there. Carey mashup. So I guess it's unlicensed in two ways, but you know, <laughs> but achievable goals. Yeah. So anyway, now that we've got our Bojangles quota filled. <laughs> For now. <laughs> Sorry, Rise. <laughs> Rise, if you have sweaters available. Well, yeah. We'll go to the highest bidder. Be it Rise, Bojangles, we'll even consider Biscuit Bell. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> Zero opening bid so far. No minimum. <laughs> okay, back to the music. Back to the music. So, um, my song that I picked this week uh, for this episode is Calling Baton Rouge by Garth Brooks. Um, or I guess it should be Colin because there's not a G at the end of Colin. Um, and I actually picked this song because, and we'll talk a little bit about um, Grant's song in a second. He chose Midnight in Montgomery, and I was like, let's go with a city name theme. So I love Colin Baton Rouge. Um, it's originally from the his 93 album In Pieces, which, if you remember, is the... Um, it's the cover where he's got like a black hat and like a red and black checkered shirt, and then it's all it's like very color coordinated. And yeah, um, and that was that was a huge album for for him. It debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 and the Top Country Albums, and so um, it was like a, an example of like him being a huge crossover hit from country into popular music. Uh, which Garth does so well. Um, and then the song, Colin Baton Rouge, reached number two on country charts. Um, and the interesting thing that I learned as I was reading about this is that it's actually a cover, which is apparently what I'm doing so far <laughs> on this podcast, is just choosing covers. Um, it was originally recorded by the Oak Ridge Boys in 78, and then again by Newgrass Revival in 89. And... Um, Garth actually had a lot of the members of New Grass Revival, including Sam Bush and Bella Fleck, record on his version. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, Spencer, you were saying earlier about how much his version sounds like the New Grass Revival version, and it's probably because there's so much yeah, yeah. They're really of the similar. same musicians. Which is cool, I think, that he apparently dug that version so much that he was like, hey, let me just bring those people in. Yeah. Um, I read somewhere where he's like, it, it's probably on Wikipedia, where he was like, it didn't do as well as it should have, but I loved it and wanted to do a version of it and yeah. basically brought a lot of the same folks in. I mean, I'm sure he had several other session session musicians playing on there, but yeah. they were the big guns. Yeah, to, to get the original guys is really cool. And um, one tidbit that I found really interesting that is a nice crossover with my love of college sports is that apparently this song gets heavy rotation um, at LSU, um, oh, wow. which I've never been to a football game or anything in LSU, but uh, they they played a lot at football and basketball games, and also it's kind of like the uh, closing time song for bars. 
<laughs> like well, instead of. <laughs> sorry, I just went to closing time by semisonic in my head. And yes, I was like, well, that's, oh, that's yeah, what I meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, instead geez. of that, Colin Baton Rouge, instead right? Instead of that, I'm, they play Colin Baton Rouge to say, close your tabs and get yeah, the hell out. Go, but I don't. Yeah. But closing time is such like a bummer song that it makes you want to leave. Whereas if yeah, this I is not Colin like Baton one Rouge, to I'd shut down like, the bar. Yeah, we're shots. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's where you like. We have to find the bar that's open later. Yeah, I feel like that. Play that like one a.m. and then closing time at two. Like that last little you know jolt of energy. (laughs) That seems like a nice curated evening, though. It's sort of like you've got one more hour to get it done. Yes, and and then we're going to play. Garth is telling you that, and then you have to go. Yeah. So I guess uh, for people who've never heard the song, it's it's the the lyrics are about a guy. It's assumed that he's a trucker, and he meets this girl and falls in love, and so he spends all of his money right up to his last dime calling Baton Rouge to call her and tell her that he loves her. And her name is Samantha. And whenever I first listened to the song, I was like, who the hell is Samantha? I thought he was married to Trisha Yearwood, um, which he is, but since he didn't actually write this song, right. it doesn't really matter who Samantha yeah. is. Um, he has to always insert Trisha in there. Yes. Like, what if it doesn't rhyme? Like, yeah. Well, and also he recorded this song before he was married to Trisha Yearwood, but I think he should go, should go back, back and re-record, re-record it, it yeah. and make it true. I mean, she's Well, gonna, okay, so this is my, if he re-record this now, there'd be so much he'd have to change. Like, I was listening to this earlier and like this song makes no sense if you're a teenager right now like he stops every hundred miles to make a call just like, pick that, up your cell phone yeah bro. like instead he would just be texting constantly he'd be like where are you I miss you like all this weird I'm, stuff I'm driving and texting and like that he needs to get like his couple dollars changed like okay for what exactly do you need that and then the weird uh, the strange combination of a woman and a child that's that the part where like, we're like now I mean it's like okay still should have been weird early 90s or but 70s or whatever that still happens, I think, in country music today where there's, like, a guy singing a song about a woman who's young and you're like, I'm not uh, sure okay. she's 18. The, the Oak Ridge boys were, like, in their mid-30s when they recorded this, I'm pretty sure. So it's like... Right. yeah. It's not like you're, like, 18 or 20 or something like that where you're, like, kind of on a weird... Uh, I, I like to think that, that they're saying that she's a woman but that she has, like, a childlike wonder about herself. Not that she is literally a child. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a gracious way to You're an Oak Ridge Boys apologist right now. Like, that, it's, that it's not creepy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, maybe they're young at heart. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> I, I will say um, my favorite recording of this song is, is not the album version from um, In Pieces, but is the version from the the Double Live album. Oh, yeah. Did you guys have that? It, it came out in 98, and it was two discs, and it was um, recorded live at various locations on his, like, It was like a compilation from that yeah, tour, right? 97, 98 world tour or whatever. Um, and I had that, and I listened to that nonstop. So whenever I think of this song, I think of the live version. Um, and I'm going to play a clip because the thing that stands out to me is, is right in the beginning. So that's, I mean, that's so, uh, 
strange how quickly music can trigger your memories. It's like, but I like traveling on the road. Uh, our production manager has an Amazon account, and we listen to Garth Brooks. Like that's the only way we can mm-hmm. listen to him these days, um, aside from using a CD player, which you know. Who has those anymore? But also, like, I don't know if you guys ever remember CDs skip when you go over bumps in the road. Yes. And it makes for, it's a, I don't know. Anyway, but that's, I love that song. It's like Garth's energy is so, yeah. uh, I don't know, it's so magnetic. It's, it's like even just hearing that intro, you're just like. It's, it's the intro with the, with the fiddle, but also the way that he yells Louisiana. Like, I can't <laughs> listen to the album version and not yell Louisiana, even though in the album version he just says Louisiana, but here yeah. he's like, yeah. Yeah, so that's totally like a, a thing that BJ does. Like BJ Barm, <laughs> previous guest. Like, that's his like fiery, like end of a line. Like, it's just yelling yeah, it out. Just yelling it out. That, that, yeah, that's, that's what that sounds like to me. I don't think I've listened a live version a long yeah. time but I'm like oh yeah that's a BJ thing I mean the the double live that compilation I listen to so much and that was like my go to and this song I'm pretty sure is the opening track from disc one mm-hmm. and so it, just that high energy it just makes you want to go through the entire yeah. I mean, entire set yeah I agree and that's something that's so you know, I don't think there's any disputing that Garth is king. Yes, and everyone's excited that he's making new music and he's going on tour again. And um, but just like singers that are dynamic like that, yeah. and they're performers because a lot of times you can hear, you know, like even saying with the studio, and like that's something that my band deals with. Where like we we go in to make a record, and it's there's a certain kind of I don't know. There's this vibe about being in a studio where you're like there's time either there's six of us mm-hmm. so it takes a lot of time for us to get things done and there's all these intricate vocal harmonies and it's like the, it, every minute costs money right uh, be it like cost money in the sense of like doing the being in the studio but also like time that we're not on the road making right. money um but then fans are always like i love how you sound live and it's like hearing that dynamic mm-hmm. like we know. all did a live album we did a live album years right. years <laughs> was it six years ago now from 2012 from a, a show in Lincoln Theater and yeah. that's something I'd love to do again but mm-hmm. it's just like one of those things where it's like you got, you got a six-headed monster you know <laughs> we want to you know um, but yeah I agree but I, that's I'm just going to keep saying the same thing yeah. that, that Garth is like an amazing performer and just having like being able to be free enough to be dynamic like that and just even yelling like not even necessarily it. singing it but just yelling something is so visceral and yeah. emotional yeah, yeah. And I think it's hard to capture the live feel, even on a live album, for a lot of acts. Yeah. Like, there's been acts, I'm like, cool, I'm going to love this live album because I love their live show, and it's just, like, not it the feels, same. It feels it's, flat. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I think that's a big part of it, which I'm sure he had, like, a killer production team putting it together. Of you know, So that was had the peak of Gar- you know, everything at his disposal, but yeah. um, having that strong of a live album. Um, right. Well, and I think it's it's probably why it's so strong is he, he what he did was... That's pulling from a whole, a whole world. A whole tour. So, and then you just, I mean, it sounds like a, a mountain of work. Just you cull through all the. Yeah, probably, probably, I would re- not want to be he, the he re- person yeah. that has to go you through know, all of that. Um, <laughs> you record, you know, you record everything, and then you just pick the the best versions. Because I, because I uh, years ago, the Chili Peppers came through town here and played at PNC, and on that tour, they were, uh, you could buy every show. They would put up a line right, recording, right. and you could buy that record. So I was like, of course, I'm going to buy the show that I was at. Yeah. yeah. And then I listened to it, and like, it was fun. It was nice. It was more, mostly like a keepsake memory. Right, like right, right. A, It almost felt like a, like oh, I'll just hang this on my fridge so I yeah. remember this. And uh, but it didn't. It felt sort of flat in the sense that it wasn't like 
just because it was a lot of like it sounded like it was in an arena where like his voice has been mixed so it's like it's in the front still but it is live and loose yeah yeah i mean i have the same thing i went to a pearl jam show when i was living in hawaii that was like a super long and excellent show there so i've seen it a few times and it was by far the best time so i wanted to get that recording but i never listened to it except for like maybe a song or two that they don't and you just think about being in hawaii watching the show yeah but like the live on two legs pearl jam record is killer because um you know the way it's done it just sounds so much better right um, and actually live and not just like yeah i'm listening back to this like awkwardly recorded yeah. live show <laughs> yeah exactly and uh, um i'll pause for a second from 90s country because i know that you're a huge chili peppers fan and i don't know if i've ever told you that but they were the first concert that i ever saw in my life um, and Green Day opened for them at the wow. Bilo Center in Greenville, South Bill. Carolina, Man. the day after prom. And it was, uh, there's there's a whole story about how my mom was a jerk and wasn't going to let me go and then surprised me with tickets for my 16th birthday. Aren't parents jerks like that? Parents are such assholes. Like, you're not going to get something. Also, was that a humble brag about going to the prom when you were 16? Like, what is this I did about? not go to prom. Well, did I go that year? I did not. But I was friends with older folks, and so they had mm, all gone. Okay, there's the humble brag. Yeah. I was friends cool? with guys older than me. Yeah. yeah. I was just one of the guys, you know. <laughs> I was the designated but, driver because they were all too hungover from the night before. Gosh, yeah. My first concert was also a very 90s bill. It was Third Eye Blind. Nice. Um, I think it was pre-Blue. Uh, Eve 6, after that first Eve 6 record. Collective Soul, they were actually right before Third Eye Blind. And then Vertical Horizon was like the and special guest. Oh it was God. right with that. So that was the whole bill? Yeah. It was right when that Vertical Horizon album, yeah. uh, Everything You Want, like, had just come out. So wow. they were like just... Where was this? At Walnut Creek. Man. Yeah. That's an epic lineup. Yeah. Uh, well, my first one, this is, uh, we're all getting, we do love 90s country. Uh, well, this is still and, 90s, yeah, at least uh, for yeah. us. But I like, I, 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 shame, I don't know, I mix them in my head. It was either Hootie and the Blowfish mm. or the Spin Doctors at. Uh, How would you mix those up? I, I mean, I was like eight and I like fell asleep. Oh, I was you on, fell asleep to Hootie? So on, much better. I understand if you fell asleep to Spin Doctors. Yeah. I, was, I, I was on the lawn and it was. It was like you know, it was past my bedtime. <laughs> my parents were having a good time, and it was you know, it was I was just there for them, you know. Yeah, well, moral support, whatever. Well, what was your first one that you remembered and really loved? Oh gosh, I mean, I did love those, I, I, <laughs> but it's that you stayed awake for the whole time gosh. at least. Well, then I just want to fast forward to like there was a show I saw at um, there was like a local band, like a local hard rock band from Johnson County that was called Stuck Shot. <laughs> And there was a band called School for Heroes from Orlando that opened for them. And at the time, I was like, a, it was I was in high school. And it was a weird phase in life where I like I quit playing music because um, I got kicked out of my first ever band I was in. Whoa! Uh, by a, an old bandmate of BJ's, uh, Bill Corbin. Uh, and, <laughs> what a and Chris, jerk! And Chris, Abrams, shout out to you guys. Um, wait, wait, wait! What instrument did you play? I played bass, and like it was like what, we, did, what did Bill play? We all he played bass. We you all, all played bass. Yeah. All no was, wonder someone had to get kicked out. It's like all, how many. Basis. Well, we all went to high school, and my band needed a drummer, and the and the best drummer in town was Chris. was Chris. And the only way you get Chris is if you get Bill too. And so we go to lunch one day, and they put in a tape in the car, a tape. I mean that. And uh, and I was like, oh, this is not me playing on this song. <laughs> and so lunch that day sucked. And then I quit. Then I like, quit playing music, and I like and uh, you know life. I played baseball for a little while, and then uh, you know. 
Suck it, Bill. <laughs> uh, oh God, that's thank yeah. you for sharing that. But yeah, story. but then I saw that that hard rock band thing, and I was just like, I have to play music, and I went out and like, uh, you know, emptied my bank account the next day at Guitar Center, and like a friend of mine, uh, Brandon Carroll, let me put a bass on some of uh, quite a bit of money on his credit card to buy a bass, and then uh, I, uh, he has been paid back. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that was my next question. <laughs> yeah, and then so that's all what I've been doing ever since then. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's fun. The uh, the Grant Emerson origin story. Yeah. With chili peppers, chili. I did. I, I have a tattoo of them, and I nice. I. I was fortunate enough to meet Flea at Austin Whoa. City Limits, and uh, like we were we were playing. It was at a time in Delta Ray where we were like I think it was a summer where we were playing most every major festival, and uh, I was watching Wilco with Mike the drummer, and then my phone just starts going off because that was during a time where Flea was playing with uh, Adams for Peace with mm-hmm. Tom York, and uh, and I was just watching Wilco, and everyone was like Grant, you know, Flea's backstage in the artist area, you know, you have to come back here. And I was just like. I don't know if this is how I want to meet him, you know, because everyone's like, you should never meet your heroes or whatever. And so I did. And, you know, I walked up to him. It was like after he got done writing whatever text message he was on his phone with. And I was just like, excuse me, Mr. Flea. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. And, and then uh, asked if I could take a photo with him. And he's like, I don't. Yeah, I don't do that. And I think my face fell off. And like, I was so sad. He's like, I'll do it for you. And, you know, this time. And thankfully, Liz, one of the uh, singers uh, and percussionists in the band, showed up at the nick of time. And I handed her my phone. And, take a picture with Flea and I'm so nervous that like I have this like nervous vein in my forehead that was just bulging and like Liz later just would give me so much crap for it but anyway, anyway yeah, yeah so this yeah. is now this is now no longer neon boots this is Flea time yeah. with well I mean Garth is an easy transition to rock because he Absolutely. was like the rock star of country music yeah. at the time yeah. and I feel like he unfairly gets shit on by a lot of people for like ruining country in the 90s which I, I don't think that's the case. And maybe it's because of when I came up that, like... Maybe that, yeah, because I, I feel like he's... I've, I think people have, or at least, you know, the people that I'm talking to have an immense amount of respect for him and uh, and how he's... what he's done with music. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the generation of people I was, like, listening to Merle and uh, all those folks. That's uh, what Grant and I were saying earlier. Like, if we... If... If we were to go back and be like our age now in the 90s, like if we were to hear this music, would we have the same attitude about it the way that some people have attitudes about modern country music today? Yeah. yeah. And I I think that that Garth, I think the reason that a lot of people shit on him is because he was such a crossover success. And so it's like, oh, he sold out because he's on pop radio, right. not just and country radio. And that was such a, ta- a time for, like, if you sold out, like, yeah. everyone would just turn their backs on you. And I think now I'm I'm not sure if that's a thing anymore. Yeah. Oh, and I think he was innovative in the different directions he took. I mean, this song sounds very, like, Cajun and bluegrassy. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he literally brought in a very influential bluegrass band that he respected. And that was the first time they even played together in years to play on this track. And so he gave, you know, New Grass Revival, like, a new audience. And then you go to, like, something like... You know the thunder rolls, which is really moody, and I think so, kind of so theatrical. Yeah, and yeah. kind of reminds me of the song that you, yeah. we were talking about for yeah. you, Layer yeah. Midnight in Montgomery. And then you've got uh, I had to look at the hits track list earlier. Um, we shall be free. That's like all gospely, and you know you've got all these different directions he takes it. Where like yeah, it's not all like really country, but like 
it's not like you're just hearing a song on the radio and you're like, oh, that could be one of 12 different male country vocalists. Right. Right. He's doing all kinds of different He's stuff. He's doing with it all. It. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love too, there's this billboard in, uh, in Nashville uh, where I'm currently living and it's Garth Brooks and it's like, there's only one race. It's the human race. And it's like, you know, love each other. And I mm-hmm. just think it's so great that, I don't know, the, uh, the political climate in the country. Is so it's like getting older, uh, it's not quite the country I thought I was ever living in. Right. And uh, so I'm glad that there's this, like, I don't know when Garth said that, but it's still up, like, out there. And it's like, you know, this, you know, this yeah. white country guy who's saying that. Is well, and I was I was reading a little bit about about him and he um, very like early, early on, like before it was cool to be pro uh, LGBT, like he mm-hmm. was very supportive. Like his, I think his sister is gay, mm-hmm. and so, like for a white country singer in the '90s or early 2000s to speak out and support on that stuff was really like incredible. Yeah, I mean, incredible. And also, like, and like, and it's the norm now, but it was not back I mean, then. Well, and for him, for him, it's more the norm now. It's more the norm now. I think, uh, I think country artists still shy away from it yeah. um, as much as they can. Like that's. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's even like in uh, media training that you get, which seems like a funny thing to say, yeah. of like how to talk and stuff. And it's like they, you know, because it is sometimes it can be touchy where you can say mm-hmm. something and it, and and then the way the the news gets uh, dis- it. distributed now, it's like you can just things get pulled out of context. Yeah. And it's like I never said that. I mean, there's once in an interview where I got quoted to say that I'm not friends with people. And, <laughs> you know, and I was like, I don't, I don't think anyone ever says that. <laughs> I'm not. So who are you? What are you friends with? I was like, like I just hang out with doll. Yeah. <laughs> Be fine with me. Yeah, you know? I mean that's my go-to like parties when I, you know, awkward situation. I'm like, where's the dog? I'm just gonna go chill with the dog yeah. for a while. I'm not friends with people. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Grant, do you want to talk about your song? Yes. Uh, so my song is "Midnight Montgomery" by Alan Jackson, and that is. I think that was just one of the first songs, like, as I was, like, growing up in the broken home, like, traveling between parents' homes and, like, listening to music, and I would just, I loved that that was a song that I could, I think that was the first song I could, like, listen to and feel like I could see the song, mm-hmm. like, just the way that the story he tells is so dark and, uh, and like, vivid and moody, but, uh, and it has, I mean, there's it's a ghost story, and, um, I just loved it and I thought it was so it's so neat counterbalancing Alan Jackson with like the Chattahoochee song which is like what we were talking about like if Chattahoochee came out now mm-hmm. would I just be like what is this <laughs> nonsense and That's like so but when it came out then it was I was like I couldn't party harder to that song right you know? and uh well, Midnight in Montgomery was on the Don't Rock the Jukebox album. Yes, so if yes. you think of that song, right, which is on the same album. Yeah, and I, and I think Midnight Montgomery is like the only single he had that didn't go number one. Mm-hmm. So it's like, maybe that tells you something about me. Where I'm, <laughs> where I'm like, oh, that's a... I see what this is for most of the people, but I want something that's a little bit, yeah. you know, uh, out of the norm. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, this is kind of goofy, but I love that he was able to pull in uh, the word whippoorwill, like, and, and the and the bird sounds and it was just another thing where it's like there was a time where I lived in Birmingham for a little while so it's, I, there was a little bit of a connection of a, to a place that I could get mm-hmm. and uh, I sort of knew you know I could hear those you know those whippoorwills I can hear those whippoorwills do you want to <laughs> do you want to play the clip where he sings about yeah. that so it's in the chorus cause it's midnight in Montgomery just here 
so funny. I, I, I hear songs like that, and I wonder, like, if people aren't from the South hear this song and say, what the fuck is a wiggle will? Because I feel like that's just in our vernacular down here. Yeah, yeah, it, it is, and it's such a, yeah, such a fun word. And you're like, wait, this one, this one has two W's in it. <laughs> How exotic. But, you know, we were talking about Garth. I didn't really think about this because I wasn't thinking about what album it was on, especially, but, like... Alan Jackson, like, kind of the flip of, like, trying to really respect all the country idols probably made it a lot easier for him, even though, like, Chattahoochee is, like, a ridiculous video and an amazing song. Um, like, you know, with this album, you know, all the Hank Williams references throughout the song, like the Lonesome Whipper Will that came yeah. from I'm So Lonesome, I Could Cry, and, like, all that, like, references throughout the song. And then I forgot till you mentioned what album was on that George Jones sang on Just Playing Possum. Oh, the yeah. last line, again, you know, this last line thing yeah. we're sneaking in the idols so it's like he obviously was like trying to play whether sincerely or not I don't know but you know trying to play to that crowd of like okay George Jones yes Hank Williams yes like checking the boxes of like the forefathers yeah where Garth Brooks was I guess or like I don't know if he was as um as much trying to play to that as just being like, right. I'm going or to do what I'm going to he's do. He's going to do what he's going to do as opposed yeah. to maybe like sourcing fan bases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or catering well, to that or, crowd without trying to... Well, and Garth catered to that crowd, but in a not-so-public way. So he had right. Stan Bush and Bella Fleck on right, right, the right. record, but then he's not sit, like mentioning them by name yeah. in the song. Yeah. Like, right. like Alan Jackson that says... He's name-checking it. Yeah. Hank's always singing there yeah. is the last yeah. line. The Oakwood Cemetery, where he's buried, um, is really close to downtown Montgomery. Um, and there's also a Hank Williams Museum down there. And there's like a statue of him. Mm-hmm. I have a picture next to it. Okay. Um, whenever we went to um, Montgomery to visit my, my family, and it's right. Um, there's this cute little area in downtown Montgomery that they fixed up. And it's like Riverwalk and the minor league baseball team is there, which, by the way, is the Montgomery Biscuits, tying yeah. it back to the beginning conversation that we had about all the biscuits. I'll take a sponsorship from the Montgomery Biscuits. Their logo is amazing. Um, Also, they are, they're associated with the the Rays and so they're in the same group as the Durham Bulls. Same farm. Same farm. Yeah, and they play against the Mudcats, I think, unless that's changed recently. I have no idea. They they have played against the Mudcats. I saw them play there. I feel really lucky that our minor league teams have great names. Yeah, have you you seen the Montgomery Biscuit logo before? No, No. Let me show it to you. And also, for the listeners, if you check the Instagram account, I'll put a picture of it. Or you could probably Google that or you could also. Google it. Either way, um, a, you're going to buy some Montgomery oh, Biscuits merchandise. Oh, um, it's the happiest biscuit. and Man, it's a little... It's, yeah. The, the best thing about... So <laughs> is the, that butter? It's butter. Yeah, it's a the butter pad pack. of Come butter on. is okay. his tongue. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so if, if you think that this is great... I'm about to blow your mind because at the games they will shoot biscuits into the crowd using like a t-shirt cannon except that it's a biscuit cannon and it's amazing wow okay (laughs) well that that just seems like that is an advantage where in Durham uh, the Durham you know Wooly Bull does not shoot biscuits out he doesn't Seems to be like something they could think about yeah. in the future. I mean, I know the yeah. team is great, but the fan experience, you know, it's. <laughs> we can always step it up. You know, it's, you know, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Learn something from, you know, the Montgomery Biscuits. The Montgomery Biscuits. Oh. Any, any other comments or thoughts about Midnight in Montgomery? That was a good one. Yeah, I just love that one. It's so, like, that's one of the. And, and I think. <laughs> 
getting older and then going back to these songs and it's I still feel the same way listening to it when I did mm-hmm. when it came out um, and that I think is I don't know that's and that's you know why we're sitting here today yeah, and people are listening to it because they want it. you know because music it just has that sort of power yeah all right Spencer you're up all right so I went the different direction than Rachel on uh, trying to be thematic with my pick uh, which was more the death angle um, <laughs> I did not go with the ghost of Hank Williams that David Allen Coe which was a thought but that song is not very good um, so I'm sorry they put out a lot of material in the 90s and not all of it was good in lots of ways um, so I went with Joe Diffie's prop me up beside the jukebox if I die which is a pretty ridiculous song um, lyrically and also even musically but we'll play the intro which is like totally a I don't know what you would call it musically I'm not a musician but like the fake out intro where like it sounds very different than the actual rest of the song oh yeah I don't, I don't know if there's a name for that it's just like to me it's just like oh they faked me out with that he wants to sound yeah, like yeah just it's, it's a left turn it is um same thing with like intros and endings like that. It seems like it's a very fun novel thing that they do. But yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, I'll, I'll play that. Well, I ain't afraid of dying. It's the thought of being dead. I wanna go on being me once my eulogy's been read. Don't spread my ashes out to sea. Don't lay me down to rest. You can put my mind at ease if you fill my last request. Pop me up beside the jukebox if I die. I just want to comment on Joe Diffie's lack of sleeves in this music video and just in the 90s in general. Well, sleeveless for a decade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that first line. Is ridiculous to me that he ain't afraid of dying. Has thought of being dead. Grant, I think you had some thoughts on that. Yeah, it's oh, it's just saying that like that is like the uh, a thing in country music, or maybe uh, it makes me think about family too, where you can like say two contradicting things back to back, and people will be like, "Yep, I get you. You hate that thing, but you love it." Yep, the sleeveless okay. thing is great too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to let, let everyone know that we, earlier, before we started recording, that we all did talk about considering all marrying Joe Diffie just mm-hmm. to acquire his last name. Yeah. Rachel did. I think one of the things I love about 90s country is like how irreverent it could be and like it was awesome and they didn't care. The whole song is about him being propped up dead in a bar after he dies because he thinks that's going to still count somehow as him being there. Not really sure. I really like the line about him being the life of the party when he's like propped up next to the jukebox with a mannequin. Like anyone's going to go to that bar and not be super creeped out by there being a dead body and a mannequin next to the like the mannequin okay like cool weird decor but then like also like a dead body propped up there as long as like, it's a blonde mannequin yeah yeah he's good as long as it's blonde but it's like you, yeah you're the life of the party because you <laughs> yeah. you are the party at that point Joe like you're the only there. person there like you are it so good luck with that um, I don't know if you died and were propped up next to a jukebox I would come and party for how long like I'm it assuming he never says like smell 
Yeah. yeah. And I don't it's a know. Long party. <laughs> you know, the, the video, like we talked about, is very weekends at, weekend at Bernie-esque because it came out the same time as number two. But... Like when I'm picturing this without the video, it's like, all right, is this a skeleton? Is he taxidermied? Like what mm-hmm. kind of situation are we talking about there? Because mm-hmm. um, that would also different levels of creep. Right. Um, and, and I think that's the fun thing about music. It's like where you can you can create this ridiculous premise and people are and people are willing to go there with you and have fun because it's a fun. You put the song on and it's fun. And it's it seems like thinking about partying until you've killed yourself. Yeah. But just because you want to have so much damn fun, and then you want to keep doing it. Keep doing but it. But I agree that it's like if you if you you know. But who would actually literally do this? Let's be other than the guys from Weekend at Bernie's. I feel like we probably should do like a deep dive and like How many read like local this? news and see like, I, if that I'm ever. Sure I'm sure it's happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Florida, there's, Florida man. there's there's like you you know the that's where the visitation is. It's at a bar. And, yeah, it might have just been like the funeral, but I'm sure someone has done it. It's, well, I would say if you've gone through all of the pre burial process of of your body being cre or not cremated, but. Um, all the stuff that they do. All that good stuff. All that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking of like my girl and with what what's yeah. his name did and Sherry with the yeah makeup oh, <laughs> 90s throwback. But sorry, were you, do you have? Oh, I was just gonna say if you're pickled and you're next to the jukebox, <laughs> it's fine. Well, he seems like he may have already pickled himself. Yeah, <laughs> <True>. gotcha. <laughs> Like that. There we go. But like you say, like how like would anyone do this? There was when I was researching. We say research, like we're doing real legitimate research here. At least I am not. <laughs> um, my Wikipedia research led me to the lawsuit where yes. uh, someone who wrote a song entitled "Lay Me Out" by the Jukebox when I die. Very similar thought process there that apparently originated separately from Joe Diffie as, or I guess the songwriters. He didn't actually write this. The judge found they were two separate compositions um, although I wish I could hear the other version um, because I'm not buying it I think there had to be some uh, lifting of source material there but I guess that was controversy on even though the I think label head um, or like A&R guy or someone like that had access to the material they couldn't prove that he necessarily heard it and I'm like yeah that seems I'm, I'm buying that he probably heard it and then just like had a really good excuse for like they couldn't prove it. Sure. Um, I don't even think it got to like a formal suit and settlement based on what I read on Wikipedia. Oh, well, I read, I, I went a step beyond the Wikipedia oh, okay. research because so um, I was you. really trying to find the, the, the uh, truth. Yeah. I was trying to find the song actually. Oh, and then there was, it? well, there was like a um, transcribed, like the sheet music of the mm-hmm. course basically because they were like in the suit were, I guess, defending that like these different differences in the melody, oh, you know, right. but like enough. at least lyrically, like that's, which I guess, I mean, there's plenty of stuff that's been borrowed over time but if oh, there's but melodic it, similarities and that it seems to kind of yeah and I, I wonder because I feel like there's certain trends in music where like there's like I feel like a couple years ago there was a, a lot of songwriters in Nashville writing songs about being a songwriter in Nashville mm-hmm. and I'm like imagining is there a, a trend of people writing about being dead propped up <laughs> next to a jukebox like this is the thing that people are into hey. it's, 
see it, and that's what makes me think like maybe we need to go figure out if there's someone in Tennessee that was like on the so, news at a time. Yeah. I, well, I just I googled ridiculous news story. Yeah. This is a story from 2011, but um, they were inspired by the song apparently. Uh, the song or or the movie, um, but they had, their friend died, and so they took him to a strip club and charged four hundred dollars to his the dead guy's credit card. Um, they did eventually uh, tell the authorities, but the name of the strip club that they went to was called Shotgun Willies. And where was this? This is in Denver. Oh, whoa. But that was in 2011, so they would have been inspired by the movie or the song, not the other way around. I feel like there's a lot of jukebox songs in the 90s, so maybe it was just a general Yeah, Yeah, I was like, maybe maybe that was sort of, that was a way to feel retro. Like, it was like, let's talk about jukeboxes. Yeah. And then, so we should be, hopefully, have songs soon about iPods. (laughs) You know? Tape tape decks. Tape decks, yeah. (laughs) Gosh, yeah. Well, the tape decks are like, I feel like they're they're, uh, folks that are putting stuff out now that limited edition stuff on cassette tapes now. Yeah. So, just have to find a, yeah, I don't have a, a tape. <laughs> but, but you do have your story of meeting Joe Diffie, which neither of us have. Right. If you can share that. Okay. Well, um, we, we've been calling him Joe throughout this because Rachel and I are <laughs> card carrying uh, golden mullet members <laughs> of the Joe Diffie. Golden uh, I wonder if that is a sort of a level you can enter into it on his needs, club. It needs to be. Yeah. Well, um, if y'all, if Joe Diffie, if you listen to this and use that, I expect to be the charter member. There, there you go. Come with that. Yeah. I think it's done. I think you, you know, um, but I, I did briefly run into Joe Diffie at CMA Fest this year uh, as I was. Um, loading in and out with my, in my band we carry like tons of stuff we have a trash can on stage we have a big bass drum that basically uh, I feel like if we don't have it on stage people don't know who we are so, so <laughs> it's, it's name it, on it it has our name on it and uh, it's you know it's just one of those signature things that eventually you sort of you know it happens as you are a band and it, there's these symbols that you attach people attach them to you you attach them to them it's part of your identity um, uh, but I saw Joe Diffie just he was just standing at the bottom of the escalator and I uh, in these certain moments I I, I get awkward because I don't want to just be like walk up to him and be like hey you're Joe Diffie because <laughs> I feel like that's what I feel compelled to do just right. to be like I want to let you know that I know who you you are but I know that you know who you are and so I'm not <laughs> so I just don't say anything and I just smile at him and I'm like carrying this big drum by him he's like oh you should have been a piano player <laughs> you know just so that I wouldn't be carrying some big you know laborious item and sweating like crazy and then Joe Diffie's just uh, I don't think he had a mullet okay um, but he looked Did he, have a mu- he still has the mustache though I think so. I mean, I, it was, I don't know how you would recognize him without the mustache. I think I think it was a mustache, and then he had some, like a nice purple lavender colored shirt on, sleeveless. It didn't have. It did have sleeves. Oh, wow. um, He's he breaking all, the mold a lot for you to still recognize him. That's I'm but impressed. It was, but it was just. You know, he was in the lobby, so it wasn't like show Joe Diffie. So he might have, like, he might have an award of change. Show Diffie? Is that what we're going with? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it seemed you know, it was it was a funny thing to. Well, hopefully, now that you're out in Nashville, you guys will be able to collaborate with some 90s country star, and oh, we'll be able to have a recap of that, a behind yeah. the music. Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, you guys you guys had a collaboration with um, L- 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 Lindsay, Lindsay Buckingham. Buckingham. Yeah. I mean, and that's pretty No big, big deal, you know. Yeah. I mean, and it's such like a, that is such a cool thing, but the story is so lame. 
<laughs> like how y'all work together? So um, we were making our record. We were on Warner Brothers Records at the time, and we were making our record with Rob Cavallo, um, who was at the time I think was the head of the label, mm-hmm. and uh, it was very exciting. Rob Cavallo also like made Green Day's Dookie record. Okay, yeah. He made all the the huge mega Goo Goo Dolls songs mm-hmm. that were on the City of Angels soundtrack and Atlantis Morissette, mm-hmm. and it was just like. It was really intimidating being in a room with that guy. Yeah. And, uh, but we were traveling back and forth because we were just like, think, things were, it was, a, it was a great time in the band. Like things were happening. We were, you know, I was felt like I was in an airplane a lot. And uh, we landed in Los Angeles and we were going to the studio. And then we get to the studio, which is at Rob's house in Calabasas. And the assistant was the one who picked us up from the airport. He's like, did he tell you who the guest on the track is? Because we had been working with this song called If I Loved You that we put out on our first record that has a sort of a Motown feel to it. And then we, and then the label saw an opportunity with it and they wanted to maybe re-record it. So that we re-recorded like a bigger sort of like, as we described in the band, like a more muscular pop sound. And so Rob did that and Rob is like a guitar guy mm-hmm. and my band is not really a guitar band <laughs> uh, at all. And he's like, yeah, well, uh, have you guys ever heard of Fleetwood Mac? And we're like, yeah, yeah. He's like, and, uh, Lindsey Buckingham was over here the other day and we're all just like, I don't know, it stopped in our tracks. It's like, so Lindsay was over here and he was just like hanging out and he was like, what are you working on? Because like Rob and Lindsay worked together on mm-hmm. live albums or, or Lindsay Buckingham solo records. And he's just like, Lindsay was playing this and he had this little griffin, which is like kind of like a mandolin ukulele thing. It's just like, it looks like an instrument that you, you have in a studio that costs $10,000. <laughs> right. You know, I don't know. He's once um, a year. But he, yeah, and he's just sitting there, I guess, playing on the, in, the, in like Rob's control room. There's couches and everything. So you're just, he's just noodling on something and Rob's like that's what we need because we were trying to figure out this the, the the song they did this one little melodic bit that we couldn't quite figure out and uh, and then they just put it on the track and, and then it was like oh okay so so did y'all get to meet him I've never met Lindsay Buckley oh that mm-hmm. sucks I mean that's 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 what I mean by it so, it's like it's yeah an, it's I thought amazing. that you guys were like all in studio together uh, well it is it's, I remember whenever y'all announced that you had re-recorded this single and that he was on it I remember thinking how cool that must have been for you because I remember one of the first times that I saw Delta Ray, y'all covered the chain. And that was, I just was like, because I didn't know any of, too much of like your original stuff, but just you guys nailing the harmonies on that, it just kind of blew me out of the water. And I was like, okay, now they've come full circle and they've got him on this record. How cool is that? And then you just ruined it all for me. And that is is the thing that I think is like, that's the complicated thing. It's like, if you want, like, you have to find these lines of like, how far deep, how much of the story do you want to know? Right. And I think about that with like Instagram or Twitter. It's like, where I love certain people's music, but then then I have this snapshot into knowing them as a person. I'm like, actually, Uh, now it's all all spoiled milk to me. Um, But I mean, that's a real, I think that it's an interesting view of what music and recording is really actually like. Yeah, and and to kind of tie it back to Garth Brooks, like we um, earlier in the band that we were being played on Sirius XM, mm-hmm. and uh, Don Henley heard uh, "Bottom of the River" on the radio, oh. and um, and then reached out to us, and we went to Garth Brooks Studio in Nashville to record a song with Don, mm-hmm. and uh, we walk into the room, and I had just finished watching Tom Petty's documentary "Running Out oh, a Dream," that's a great mm-hmm. documentary, like all five thousand hours of yeah. it. That I'm so glad it's that long. Yeah. I could just keep watching it forever. But we walk in and like there's a guy sitting in the chair and I just like go to shake his hand and I'm like and it's Stan Lynch <laughs> like you know Tom Petty's original yeah. drummer yeah. it's just like hi I've just I, watched I, hours of you hi you're Stan Lynch <laughs> no I didn't I didn't do it but I just it's I have this like where I want to throw that up on people every time yeah. I'm like uh and then you know um, and so has we, anybody done that to you yet 
Hi, hi, you're Grant Emerson. Yeah. Hi, you're the guy from yeah, people, Delta Ray. People do that, and it's just like I'm like, you know, because and I thought like, because I felt awkward when I I'm jumping. I'm I don't want to sound pretentious, and I'm like, the time I met Flea, and I was like, you know, showing him my tattoo, and like people are like, you should never do that, like you know, like that's so weird. And I'm like, but whenever people show me a tattoo that they have of my band, mm-hmm. I think it's like Very it's cool. pretty powerful. Where I'm just like, okay. I am doing the right thing in my mm-hmm. life, and it, it, and it's meaning something to people. But yeah, I don't know. That was just to take it back. It was a Garth Brooks studio where they they mm-hmm. um, recorded with uh, Don, and and then like uh, that so was you did we, get to meet Don Henley. We did meet Don, like where, where it was John was working with the singers, and so Mike and I were just kind of like bullshitting in, in the like <laughs> lounge room, just like on I don't know what the hell we were doing, and then you just hear a guy walk in and. And I was like, I don't want to look up because I know that that's Don Henley. You know, he's just standing there in the long trench coat. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, and he's, you know, he has these piercing eyes. And it's just like, it's like, man, that, you're the, that, that, you're, you're Don Henley. You're Don Henley. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and it's really neat. And we've kind of fostered like a little bit of a friendship with him. We're like, whenever, anytime we're in Dallas, like he'll come see the show if he oh. can, if he doesn't have to help his kids with their math homework, <laughs> you know, but it's, uh, even, even rock stars are, are real people. So yeah. And I, and that's, their kids with math yeah, homework. that's, uh, yeah. I love thinking about you guys getting there and finding out that Lindsay Buckingham recorded on your track and like asked them asking if you knew who that Fleetwood Mac was or whatever. If y'all would just be like, Oh, we're not really that into that. They're like, you know, no, we don't, we don't want that. Like yeah, we'll, think, we'll pass. Yeah. I think we, I don't, and, I liked it without Lindsay on it. Could, it. could you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, they just are just throwing some on your song and obviously a producer should know what they have. Sense of, they have the sensibilities and like the right. thinking of like, I think this would work. Right. But and, at what point would you guys be able to, obviously you wouldn't in that case, but be like, uh, no, we don't really love that part. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And that's, so uh, that's an interesting thing about the business side of it, where there's these like power dynamics where you're just like, could we, like, would we be like, <laughs> if we push back on this thing, would it blow the whole thing up? Right. 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 When you also yeah. have to think like at some point in time, those people, they, they know what they're doing just as much as you guys like know your own music. They know what's going to sell, what's going to sound good. Yeah. And what's yeah. going to serve. And especially like someone like Rob, who's like makes makes records that I love. Right. And it's like, you gotta respect and I'm just, what he I'm says. just like, I'm like, if this is the, you have, this is the vision you have for it. And it's like, and I, cause it's, you know, I'm like coming in and I'm just playing bass on these records. So right. it's like, I'm getting in. I'm like my time. I'm like, I'm like, I'm getting in. And then, and then they put the whole behemoth of like all the vocal harmonies and everything else on it. And, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I have, there's there's so many stories from making that record. That, Do you all um, have anything going on 2019 oh yeah. or I guess the end of this year that you need to? We're doing like a residency that finishes this Wednesday. I know that this will come out probably after right. that, um, that we've been doing in Nashville 16 weeks, like an immersive experience where there's acting and then it's like we've we have these tvs and it's going to be something that we're workshopping to take on the road with mm-hmm. us to make it like a, a a deeper richer experience for a show and uh but we're planning on releasing a new record and uh i'll quote eric in, in quarter one cool quarter one <laughs> quarter one of 2019 <laughs> uh but that's the plan right now is just we, we have over the process of the last several years we've been writing songs and recording songs and we've and, we, and because technology's better cheaper we're able to record it and i, and I think on a in a competitive way with you know if you wanted to go to blackbird or something mm-hmm. like that um and do you have a name for the new album yet no but we are uh we're circling we have like a concept cool. and sort of in something where we're where it's like kind of it, it's in, in keeping with delta ray as far as like playing with like the light and the dark of like having like songs that are you know a little bit more happy mm-hmm. uplifting but also that sort of witchy side that i think is uh 
something that our band is uniquely able to do that um, uh, that is really fun too. It's and that takes me back to like Midnight Montgomery, where I love how dark that is. And even though it's very in keeping with country music and instrumentation, um, I just like how moody and and, mm-hmm. and, and it, it seems like it was a risky thing for him to do. And then now it's like. Now with all the TV shows and all the art that's out there, it's like you can be even you can, but you have even to be darker even darker and more yeah. bold. Um, and I think in some ways that's what people would uh, people want. That I mean, they don't know what they want until you <laughs> show it to them, and they're like, "Oh, I love this," but I didn't. But five minutes ago, I didn't know it existed. Yeah. You know, so yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, well, thank you guys so much for having me. No yeah. problem. And um, also, I mentioned this earlier, but thanks to the Carolina Theater for letting us hang out and record this in a quiet space. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Bye. See you next time. He was working through college On my grandpa's farm